This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Once you've learned a jazz standard and feel comfortable with it, you may think to yourself, well, I know how to play the melody. I know how to play the changes. I can go to a jam session or even a gig and play it with other musicians. But then what do I do with it after that? Like, how do I make it my own? How do I give it my own voice? And how can I develop that voice through this jazz standard so it sounds like me playing it so that there's something special I'm bringing to the table? Well, on today's episode, I have special guest saxophonist Mike Casey. So he's going to lay down a lot of really value-packed tips today, full of stuff of how to become a better jazz improviser and a great musician in general. But he also talks a lot about taking jazz standards, arranging them to be their, your own and to have your own original voice. You're going to really love this episode. I know you're going to learn tons from it today. So let's do this thing. Let's crush it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. As always, like I said, special, special guest on the show, saxophonist Mike Casey, uh, here, here in Brooklyn. Well, no, not here in Brooklyn. I live in Queens. So he lives in the second best borough of New York City. Uh, but he is laying down the value today. I mean, this is one of those episodes where you're just going to get uh, in the inside of, of the brain and the experience of a very, very talented jazz musician, professional jazz musician. I mean, it's kind of a goldmine episode where you're just going to get tip after tip after tip uh, of really good information of things to be doing. And like I said, also lots of stuff about, you know, making a jazz standards your own, uh, arranging them, uh, starting to develop your own voice over them, which I, I don't know about you. That's what I want. And, you know, that's really what I'm looking for. So he's going to help us out with that today. Now, also, this is really important. Also, he is giving away for free a 30 minute lesson with one lucky member of this audience of someone listening to this podcast episode right now. Now, let me say that one more time because, I mean, I can't believe Mike is doing this for all of us, and I really do appreciate Mike for doing this. He's giving away a 30-minute lesson. doesn't matter if you're a saxophone player. I, I'm sure that you know he's he can teach you a lot if you're whatever instrument you play. He's giving away a 30-minute lesson to someone in this audience. Now, it is a raffle that you have to enter, um, but I will be telling you at the very end of this episode, how to enter that raffle. Yes, I want you to listen to the end of the show because I want you to get to know Mike. I want you to know how much value you can get out of this episode. At the very end of this episode, I will tell you how to enter the raffle so you could possibly get a 30-minute lesson with Mike. All right? 
So make sure you do that. Uh, Mike Casey, you can find him at MikeCaseyMusic.com or you can also find him uh, on Instagram at MikeCaseyJazz. So without further ado, let's get on Mike Casey. All right, so we're welcoming on the show today, Mike Casey, a professional saxophonist. Uh, really excited to have you on, Mike. Yeah, Brent, me too. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, you you call yourself a, a melody poet, right? That's kind of uh, that, that seems to be the 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 thing you've dubbed yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, recently I am because there are just too many saxophone players out there. You know, there's just so many of us. I love I love the branding, <laughs> and your music is so great. Um, uh, of course, uh, all everybody who's listening should go go check you out and listen to your music. I mean, you seem to uh, have some incredible trio stuff out that I was really digging with just you, a bass player and a drummer. I mean, just absolutely shredding, just beautiful uh, melodic music, right? Like me- melody poet, and you've got all sorts of really cool uh, stuff where you're taking different genres of music together like hip-hop and um, you know different styles of music so I mean I totally dig you as a musician and I'm just excited uh, to pick your brain today for the audience um, but what I'd love to do is kind of just get started with you know how did you get started to become such a great musician like you are today like what were the kind of the beginnings of that um, and I think that story can really help the audience get an idea of uh, who you are and, and all the tips we're going to go through later on. Definitely. Well, first, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Um, I would say the very beginning of it all was my my mom. Uh, she is a trained singer, and she would go around the house making up melodies to anything, washing the dishes, taking us to school. She was singing about whatever, whatever she was doing, and that kind of that kind of uh, environment really bathed me in spontaneous composition from a young age, although I didn't realize it until much later. But I was learning and hearing improvised melodies all the time from her. Um, so that was the really beginning of it. And then, you know, from there, ended up wanting to play the drums. And they, my parents said, no, that'll be too loud. And said, okay, well, I'll play the saxophone. So I'm kind of a frustrated drummer in a saxophone's box. Oh really? So so drum yeah. so is drums still something that you <laughs> that you want to play or that you want to explore more or what what's the situation with that? It is. Yeah, I think my midlife crisis will be like doing a whole <laughs> like album as a drummer or something because I really do love the drums and I'm so picky with drummers and and uh and, and I have taken some percussion classes. I took one at Berkeley Valencia and I I t- took one I took a few when I was really young just world percussion studying rhythms from other cultures and i really 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 love percussion in the drums that's cool so at what point were you kind of like you know i really want to be a a, a musician like that's what i want to do with my life so that moment was about 11 years ago i i got cut from my freshman high school basketball team and my my hoop dreams were shattered (laughs) believe it or not my my number one goal in life was actually to make the nba at one point um and I started going to a magnet school in Hartford, Connecticut called the Hartford Academy for the Arts. And they have a really serious jazz program. I mean, other alumni that have come from that have been like Josh Evans, Jimmy Green, the Curtis Brothers, lots of folks. Um, Deron Douglas, uh, many, many people who are kind of from, you know, associated with Hartford go through that program. And coming in, you know, to that situation was the first time in my life that I had been around 
other musicians who were young and serious because out in stores connecticut where my family was living at the time i was the only one who really liked jazz i mean there were more cows than people and you know <laughs> it was not really <laughs> jazz country it's about as far from jazz culture as you could get it's cow country <clears throat> It's cow country. So being around that for the first time was really powerful. And I instantly knew like within the first week of getting there, I was like, okay, this is it for me. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Awesome. And what were some of those like really pivotal, uh, pivotal, that's not a word, really pivotal um, moments for you where you just really felt like you, you, you had like a big breakthrough early on in your musicianship that had a really high impact. What were some of those earlier moments? Oh, that's such a great question. There's so many, but I would say you know, during that first week encountering a, a teacher by the name of Paul Brown, uh, who has unfortunately recently passed, but he he's kind of a pillar of the Hartford scene, and you know he he's a really a part of jazz history, and that he was around many of the of the household names. I mean, he I remember him telling us about being in the room when Clifford Brown wrote Daoud, and and mm. you know playing with playing with Benny Golson, and uh, he he was part of uh, a series up there called Monday Night Jazz that brought everyone from Miles Davis to Mingus to Monk up to Hartford, and he was really you know part of things. Um, and just realizing at that moment that okay, this is not just music; this is a way of life, and this is a culture that I'm I'm learning from, and and uh, you know uh, hopefully adding to in my own way. And that really deepened things for me, um, and it it went way beyond the saxophone and just understanding culture and life and. Um, and, uh, you know, associating those two, that was the beginning of that. And then uh, later on, I continued on to Hart um, at the Jackie McLean Institute of Jazz and encountered another teacher, uh, Abraham Burton, who's fairly active on the New York scene still today. And he's an incredible saxophonist and human being. And he really kind of helped take that association of life and music further for me and really helped me understand here's how you can work towards um you know crafting your own voice and and studying that and developing that and then uh, a few years after that i had the chance to speak with sonny rollins there's actually wow. a, a video of that on youtube if you type in mike casey sonny rollins it'll come up wow and it's all it's about finding your own musical voice and that was in 2014 and i asked him you know for advice on this and he said you know you already sound like you today you don't have to find anything. What you're trying to do is sound like a better you. And mm. that really shifted my mindset even further um, and, and helped me quite a bit. Well, that's really powerful. I know that a lot of members in the audience, you know, some are, you know, just getting started in their jazz improv journey. Some are somewhere in the middle. Um, but we oftentimes that's kind of like the approach we come at it as musicians, right? Like we're not, we're not there yet. Like we're still trying to find our, our identity as musicians, but that's a really interesting point that Sonny Rollins made is that we really have elements of our personality, no matter how hard we try, you know, whether to or not to already in our playing, we're just trying to craft that and, you know, get, get those, those personality traits to come out. Is that kind of the way that you, uh, is that the kind of way you understood what he was saying? Absolutely, yeah. It, it's really about personality and and you know being comfortable. And I think um, you know this is something that the more I I kind of look at other genres for inspiration, especially these days, I think other genres they tend to really rely on this quite a bit. I mean, an artist, so much of what an artist is known for in other genres goes way beyond the music, and is so much about who they are as a human being. And in jazz, because so much of it is instrumental, mm-hmm. we uh, it's easy for us to forget about that. And it's really easy for us to kind of lose that personality thing because, you know, there's, there is such a high bar of technical facility and 
theoretic, you know, knowledge and all these things that are just needed just to like do the bare minimum, you know, in jazz that sometimes we can forget that, oh, being an artist is actually like it reaches so far beyond that. Of course, it very much has to do with that. And the two are linked. But I think the ultimate goal is to really discover who we are, be comfortable with that and find out what that means you know, when it comes to playing and arranging and writing, I mean, just a small example of this is for me, I love humor, I love comedy. <clears throat> and for example, I'm always, you know, investigating fake endings, fake endings and different ways of kind of tricking the audience and tricking my band and having them trick me. Those things are, are elements of my work that are all over the place. Wow, that's really cool. I think that's something that a lot of people don't don't think about. So it's, it's interesting uh, to hear you to hear you say that sounds also that like mentors and this is what i hear from a lot of musicians that are really reach the caliber you have is there's there's mentors earlier on that just have a huge impact and just give you lots of inspiration i've heard that certainly from my students you know just having a group of people or or, or even a mentor just to kind of guide your path can be so powerful even just on a mindset level uh let alone like actual you know, content that you learn from those people. Um, I'm wondering, you know, because kind of hearing you talk, you're talking about finding your 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 voice, or really more so tapping into that voice that you already have. You know, did you, you know, learn lots of solos from the great jazz musicians? Like, as far as learning the jazz language, what were some things that you did? Mm, that's a good question. You know, I, I I I did transcribe. I have transcribed. I am not the most transcribey person i've probably in my 17 years of playing the saxophone i've probably transcribed uh, i don't know maybe 10 or 12 maybe 15 solos all in all Mm -hmm. uh which maybe that's a lot maybe it's not when i when i say that out loud to me it doesn't sound like a lot because i know cats that transcribe like you know a solo a month right um or more you know I never really was like that. I was I was always more into like getting into one solo and really just ripping it apart in every way, and um, having it influence my playing because I loved that one solo so much. Not just the lines, not just the structure or the phrasing, but like so many deep things about the storytelling in it and the lyricism and and if it's a saxophone solo like this the saxophone sound and how they're articulating that i just was like let me grab let me just dive into this for like a year or six months and just really get it in there that's awesome i I love that approach too is you know there's there's different schools of thought like you know the you know it's kind of the same where people like teach speed reading where they're like you know get through as much material as possible and that's like you know in a book that's like one technique but then there's the other one where you just really dive in deep which sounds like your approach there what's one of those solos that you really just took a deep dive into oh okay so this this solo, if someone ha- held a gun to my head and was like, "Okay, pick your pick what you think is the best solo ever in jazz," this would be this one, and this one really made a huge impact for me. Sonny Rollins, not just the original St. Thomas, but a specific one. It's live on YouTube in Stockholm, 1959. Okay. Henry Grimes and Pete LaRocca, or uh-huh. no, is it Gene Harris on drums? It's either Pete or Gene Harris on drums. And oh my God, uh, just the way he builds the solo and he really just, he attacks it from so many different angles and melodic conceptions and shapes and just the, the way his trio communicates, it's so free, you know, but it's, it's almost like, it's just, you know, if, if you hear it, you might think, wow, there's, this was perfectly composed, you know, that solo 
also his solo on love letters from it's either the same concert it's at least the same year i think the same tour uh sunny on love letters hank mobley soul station oh yeah um oh man what else i would say there's a few jackie solos uh that really made a big difference for me um blanking on what those are just because i i listened to so much jackie growing to the, the school and everything uh that it all kind of it all kind of blurred together after a while um there was one oh this is a thing i this is a really good thing that i did uh, at one point and i don't really retain as much of these as i wish i did but you know at one time i think my sophomore year at heart uh chris allen another teacher who was very pivotal in my development because uh, i studied with him in high school at the academy and also a little bit at heart he actually had a class, a saxophone class, where over the course of a whole year, we learned every single Charlie Parker melody ever. All wow. Of them. All the intense, weird ones. <laughs> yeah. All the weird ones no one plays, you know, all the super hard ones like cardboard and all, you know, and that was like such a challenge just to like remember them and, you know. Um, oh, man. Retain them and remember the names because some of them have two names, you know, and all the stuff. Yeah. But I tell you what, like pro tip, like if you really want to get like learn bebop language or just jazz language really well, you know, you don't necessarily have to learn a bunch of solos, just learn a bunch of Charlie Parker heads. I mean, and you know, you're going to learn how to blow over chord changes, you know, pretty well. I mean, I would assume that that was that was really helpful for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And some of those heads, it kind of made me realize to varying degrees, some of those heads really to me it just sound like he was he he was soloing and like he, he just took yeah. he happened to take a really great first chorus and he was just like i'll just repeat this at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, no absolutely it, it, it i mean i guess that's kind of what bebop heads are it really just sounds like a a solo that has you know repeated a sections and you know like repeated themes in it you know so sort, sort of like an etude almost right um but yeah, that, that that's amazing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about repertoire because I know you have some really great tips on learning jazz repertoire and what you can actually do with them. Um, first of all, let's kind of start with this. So, like, as far as learning standards, like, w- was that? I'm, I'm I'm making an assumption here that you did a lot of that, but I just was that something that you did, and if so, like. Did you learn a ton of tunes? Did you learn just a little bit of tunes? Like, what was your approach with like practicing and learning those? Um, yeah, I did learn a ton of tunes. I, you know, actually starting in high school, I kept like a, like an iPhone notes or at that time I had just an iPod, iPod touch, yeah. uh, like notes file that I still have today, 12 years later, where I just wrote down every single standard I've learned. That way I wouldn't forget that I learned it and I could go back and like, remember, Oh, I did know this at one point. Let me review this. Um, so that's a good thing to do that I'd recommend because, um, at this point, I think it's probably like 250, maybe 300 standards that I've learned. Um, that said, as you know, you know, sometimes <laughs> you learn a tune and then you actually never get to play with people. Right. <laughs> that's, and so that's then, you a know, really, yeah, it's <laughs> a really common thing. So I don't know how many of those I still remember, but uh, I mean, I definitely did learn a ton of tunes and it is a good thing to do, um, especially if, if a song has lyrics, you know, being like playing at the piano and singing them. It's really good. Yeah, absolutely. I I came out with uh, a YouTube video, you know, maybe a month ago where I was talking about how some lessons I learned from learning 100 jazz standards in one year um, that I did at one point. And, you know, that that was really helpful. And, um, you know, it gave me a little bit of a jump start that maybe I needed at the time. Um, But, you know, of course, when it comes down to it, like how many of those uh, could I say that I know all those 100? No, I definitely could not say that. Right. Because you just don't play all of them. And uh, that's pretty key, right? Play, actually, actually playing the tunes so that you know you can, uh, 
you can keep those up there. Would you, is there any like sort of um, way that you go about learning jazz standards, a new repertoire? Like, is there an approach you have to it, a method, or is it just sort of, uh, you know, you listen to it and you just start playing it or learn it? Uh, you know, what I did was listen to as many versions of the, of the song as you can first. Yeah. Um, I was doing that even before, like, I discovered YouTube. It's kind of funny. Like, I still find I was really, really determined to do that as my first step. And I still have, like, from the era before, you know, streaming in, like, high school, middle school even, you know, I have, like, there was one time where I, like, I was basketball refereeing on the side to make some money and doing chores and, and you know, mowing people's lawns and stuff for money. And I would spend all of it on buying, like, 50 versions of Stella by Starlight, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? B- b- before uh, Spotify. <laughs> before Spotify, yeah. So, so I still have those, too. Uh, but that's a really good thing to do because it gives you a chance to explore, like, you know, kind of what the end goal is, is to, after you after you play the standard, make it your own, you know, and everyone who's played these standards and records them does that. Yeah. Let's talk about making it your own. I know that you have some, uh, I know that arranging and, uh, you know, kind of putting your own personal touch on things is, is kind of something that you really are, uh, that you really find important. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, how you go about that and, uh, maybe just some background of why that's important to you sure so i think why it's important to me personally is i think that that's really uh i mean for one this is just an observation observation of the scene that's kind of where the standard is set today i mean everything is either composed or highly arranged yeah um you know or uh, yeah i mean basically there's the expectation that your gig does not sound like a jam session and that your gig does not sound like a cocktail hour at a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, it should sound organized, thought, well thought out, um, and specific to what you stand for as an artist and what you are reaching for as an artist. And should have some type of, um, not that every song has to have a, a, like an identifiable s- sound, not that because you don't want your whole set to sound the same, but there should be some type of you know, identifiable stamp, artistic stamp that runs through your whole set, whether it's arranging a standard or it's an original. Um, that's kind of where the standard has been set on the scene for a long time. Um, so I was really lucky to have teachers in high school telling me that and pushing me to really bring in arrangements of standards and and get that skill going early. Uh, so it's not just me. I had really good teachers that were, you know, encouraging that and, and saying, if you want to do this, this is where it is. This is where this is what you need to do. Um, so that was really key. But I think, you know, the way I approach doing it is just find a, a song you really love and then try to think about how you could make it either better or more you or both. Um, and think about adding things, taking away things, extending things, shortening things reharmonizing things um and you know i i guess time signature goes into stretching or or compressing things but i think about it in those types of uh switches almost maybe we could you could give us an example of an actual tune that you've rearranged that you've arranged 
and like you could walk us through like step by step like what elements of that because there's definitely some people listening right now that are like man you know brent mike I, i'm just trying to i'm just trying to learn some tunes but now you're telling me you got to arrange some stuff like what is what does that even mean so maybe if we can break that down even further and look at one of your tunes or one of the jazz standards that you've done um walk us through elements of of something that you've done that with and what that looks like Sure. So recently I uh, released a, an arrangement of Nat King Cole's Unforgettable, which is written by Irving Gordon. Um, and that song is uh, is a standard that's really one of my all-time favorites. And it's kind of weird because no one really plays it that much anymore. I think, I don't know, I don't know I'm not really sure why. So it kind of seemed like a gem to me. Like, okay, if I add this to my set, it's a song people definitely know, but they haven't heard in a while. Um but uh, as far as arranging it, I always listened to the lyrics and thought to myself, you know, these lyrics could be interpreted different ways. The song is kind of uplifting and a little bit happy, hopeful, that kind of thing. But I always heard the lyrics as, you know, the lyrics kind of convey, could be could be the opposite. Um, so I thought it would be a good challenge for myself to see if I can change the whole texture and the harmony of the song to be almost, you know, dark and melancholy and hopeless, the opposite. Um, so this so, is like unforgettable. That's what you are. That one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that lyric, like unforgettable. That's what you're. That sounds like a compliment, right? But what if yeah. it's like someone thinking, like, oh man, I'm never gonna get over this this person that I was oh, right, a, right. in a relationship with. You know, like that other side of the lyrics. So looking at the lyrics too, I think can really help you be creative about this. But I basically slowed down the tempo quite a bit, and also reharmed it uh, in a trio setting: sax, bass, and drums. Um, and just kind of made it as meditative and like um, pensive, almost and sad as I could as I could think of, um, having a little bit of like hanging dissonance in there at times, and just had a lot of fun reimagining that. And and I think that when I play it live, people are really quite surprised because they're hearing this song like slower with more space. You know, and the the changes are already really beautiful as this melody, but. The melody almost goes by a little too fast for me at like the Matt Nat King Cole walking ballad medium but kind of ballad tempo. I wanted to slow it down to like a dirge almost. So you you so you slow down the tempo, you made it darker. What what were some techniques that you used to make it darker? So I use like descending bass lines a lot in my music. That's okay. just a sound I've always loved. Yeah, um, me too. So that, that's one easy way to to uh, make something sound dark and and you know uh, melancholy is just get some nice counterpoint going where you have the bass note uh, and or the chords uh, descending basically and have that guide you. And that can, that can bring a lot of uh, fun colors out. Cool. It's my understanding that you have, uh, you have this arrangement available. Is that true that people could look at it? Uh, yeah, I can, uh, I can send you a sheet actually. Uh, that you can add later but um, yeah the the song is out now it's on all the platforms and the music video is on my youtube channel as well from the in-studio session awesome so what we're going to do is we're in the show notes we're going to have a link up to at least that video you don't have to share the pdf if you don't want or anything like that but we'll we'll put that in the show notes so learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 211 for everybody listening to check that out i think that's going to that'd be very helpful to tie in with this episode so they can at least hear you know kind of some of the stuff that you're talking about definitely yeah happy to do that awesome that sounds good um so cool. I mean, so arranging tunes, um, 
Is there any other things that you did in that tune that you that you would suggest other people consider or think about? Oh yeah, so the the head out is like super different. Uh, the head in is kind of pensive, calm, you know, sad. You know, we're there's there's a lot of things that I you know instructed the drummer to kind of reach for, like painting almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still in a fairly straight ahead uh, jazz ballad context as far as rhythm goes. But on the melody out, uh, we switched to like almost kind of spirit, sort of so-called spiritual jazz, almost like thinking like Pharaoh Sanders colors, kind of like the bass goes to Boeing, you know, I'm kind of playing louder. The drums are just like going nuts, you know, kind of painting all around and having it be really busy and powerful. And I think that when you're in a, when you're arranging, doing something different at the ending is really important. Um, if not also the head out, because you want to give people, I think, just as as obvious as you can make it that you've done something to make this your own, mm-hmm. and as many ways as you can to do that, you know, little little details can be the thing that makes someone go, "Oh, wow, I like that. That was different," you know, and that's important. Having those little uh, connection points and those climax points in in your writing in your arranging. I love that. So I feel like a big call to action for the audience today is to give this a shot. Take a jazz standard that you know really well and see what you can do to create your own arrangement of it. And if maybe you're like, I've never done something like this before, like this is like way over my head. Um, all you need to do is really just go, hey, what if I added this chord here? Or what if I like change that to, you know, maybe maybe let, let's, let's reharmonize this. Like, let's try, what does that chord sound like if I play that one over the melody note? Like these are just like really basic entry-level things you can do or it could be like you know if you're playing with a group let's try a different groove over top of this maybe instead of swing let's try straight eighth like let's try something different and see what we can do with it maybe um you know you try seeing if you could fit like three you know uh you know a three four tune into a four four tune or a four four tune into three four tune you give things a try and i think that's kind of what the essence of what you're getting at from more of an educational level mike is if we can experiment with these sort of things we can learn so much about even just playing music and we can start developing our own our own style our own sound um and we can just have fun right exactly that that's really it it's all about having fun and and developing your own style i mean that's that was a great rundown i mean it's all about stretching and and pushing yourself and and just taking risks you know and and exploring that's really the main thing yeah, and jazz is all about t- taking risks and being vulnerable. So um, I, I think this is uh, man, this has been a lot of great information. Um, I'd love to kind of you know kind of end off here a little bit, just asking more about you know what kind of stuff that you're doing right now and working on. Um, I, I know that you've got different projects coming out and different releases. Um, would love for everybody to hear a little bit about what you're doing. Sure. So uh, I am you know based in Brooklyn and. Um, I have uh, have a big year ahead of me. By the time this year is over, I'll have released like 20 songs, Ooh. 10 music videos, maybe a couple other things. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot of uh, music coming out this year. Um, I would say that uh, you know, Unforgettable just came out, and then another arrangement of what I consider to be a standard of my generation, uh, Jay-Z's No Church in the Wild drops April 1st. Nice. Um, really excited about that. I have a 15-8 funk song, uh, Feel the Burn, coming tomorrow, April, uh, which is March 11th. Um, and April 2nd, to celebrate the music video for Feel the Burn, 
and uh, and uh, No Church in the Wild would drop people first. For anyone in New York, I'll be playing uh, at Rockwood Music Hall uh, in New York City, seven at seven to eight p.m. One set on April second. It's part of my year-long album release tour for my fourth album, Law of Attraction. And uh, Benito Gonzalez, who is Pharaoh Sanders' yeah. uh, pianist of choice at the moment, he's actually joining my trio for No Church in the Wild. So uh, it's a really, really special song that we had a lot of fun with. Uh, so hope you check that out. And um, hopefully I'll see some of you on the road. If anyone wants to keep in touch, uh, my website is MikeCaseyJazz.com, and you can sign up for you know email alerts on shows and all that stuff there. Awesome. So we'll have all this in the show notes today. So MikeCaseyJazz.com. I want you all to check it out. Mike, um, thank you for just completely dropping the value on the audience today, uh, allowing me to pick your brain. Uh, I've learned a lot. I know the audience has learned a lot. So I appreciate you. I imagine we'll uh, have you back on in the future sometime. Absolutely. Would love that. Thanks so much for having me, Brent. All right, the moment you've been waiting for, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that Mike is giving away a free, a free 30-minute lesson with him. Uh, how exciting is that? And thank you so much, Mike, for doing that. I really appreciate that for just uh, being so uh, being so giving with that. Now, he is. Uh, this is a raffle that you have to enter. So how do you enter this raffle? Uh, you, if you go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash Mike Casey, so M-I-K-E-C-A-S-E-Y, so learnjazzstandards.com forward slash Mike Casey, that's going to redirect you to uh, his raffle page. Um, just got, just by entering your email address or connecting on on Spotify, you'll be entered into that raffle and he'll reach out uh, to you if you win. And if you don't win, he'll still reach out to you too, right? So uh, if you'd like to uh, get that opportunity, go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash Mike Casey forward slash Mike Casey to enter into that. I, just do it. You know, you, you want to be involved in this uh, for sure. You want to have that opportunity. All right. So thank you, Mike. Thanks for all the great tips. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show today. You rock. You are awesome. Or you jazz, whatever the, whatever the term is, I should say there. Now, um, if you would like to continue listening, there are many episodes that we have that you can completely dive into. So go into your podcast feed, or if you're on the website, scroll back, Find a topic that is interesting to you that will help you, right? There's no reason to stop now. Go ahead, uh, find another episode that is going to, um, you know, meet you where you are right now, right? There's so much in our library, but find an episode title that really catches your eye that you think, you know what? I really need help with that right now. Now, also, if you've got value out of this episode or any other episode, share the episode, right? If you've never subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to shows, hit that subscribe button. I don't want you to miss out on anything going on with the show. All right. I appreciate you as listeners. I really do. You have no idea. Uh, Look forward to serving you in another episode next week on the Learn Jazz Standards podcast. Until then, happy practicing. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter.
Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.